0: Hi there, welcome back to the Broadway Show Uncut, and it's a big one. There is a very important piece of work on Broadway in 2024. It's Prayer for the French Republic. It's the story of a family grappling with anti-Semitism, both in present day and in the past. I caught up with one of the stars, Anthony Edwards. Well, let's talk about this. It's It's so nice to be back on Broadway, right?
1: It's always great to be in a theater.
0: Talk a little bit about this play and this production. Is This is something you've seen, but um, why is this one special?
1: Um, you know, I started acting when I was 16, and it, if it's always been the same thing, it's about the writing. Like when the writing's great, you're like, well, there's half my job done or more, because um, that's what it comes down to, the writing. And I saw this show uh, in 21 or 20, whenever it was at, at City Center, and was blown away, because you can't, it's like the Grand Canyon, you can't describe it, you just have to be in it to understand it, because it's not one thing, it's so many different things.
0: L- layers of it, I um, mean, there are people that were in the production that are gonna be here, so there's experience mixed mm-hmm. with, with new people that are coming on board. Uh, what is that like, to be all working in a, in a mix like that together?
1: It's fun because there's a group, half the cast has done it, David and Josh are an incredible partnership, and they're feeling like there's unfinished business. Like, they love it, and they did what they could within the parameters of COVID and the first Mm -hmm. production and everything. And there was, from day one of rehearsal, the energy is like, okay, now we get to do, or let's follow through with what we wanted to and try. So uh, Daniel Kluger, an amazing sound designer, is bringing all his game in and production design and everything, because we're in this beautiful theater, we have the ability for them to continue their dream.
0: I'm so. curious, when you see a show, like you saw a show however many years ago, uh, this one, is it, do you, do you sit back and go, I'd like to do that one day, or did you just remember that that's the writing that really spoke to you?
1: I think it's just the remembering the writing, because yeah. if I'd gone and seen this thinking like, oh, I'm gonna play that mm-hmm. character someday, I would've looked and probably looked at the show differently. And uh, and so, yeah. It's um, it's it's nice to uh, start fresh, and it's fun to be with actors because with like with any great play, a lot of different people can play it and do it. You right. know, it's why we keep going and see Tennessee Williams over and over again because it can be new. Right. You know, a, a friend of ours just did a production of *Streetcar*, and it's four actors doing the every word of the play. And it's beautiful with no props, like when it's this kind of stuff, it's also fresh and new for audiences. I mean, I think what's great to hear is where there's so many people who have saw it Mm -hmm. that are coming back and that's really nice
0: when you have topics too that are are timeless topics or timely topics and that's what we're talking about here that's going to speak to an audience in a whole different way than it might have a few years ago
1: yeah look I mean anti-semitism has been around for centuries and centuries obviously and so it's always going to speak or apply in a different way just like any other crises of the human condition which playwrights great playwrights from name them all Mm -hmm. are always looking at they're they're looking at what are the personal conflict within the larger scheme of things
0: I feel like uh, that topic right now of all times is something that I I think the audience is really going to resonate maybe in a different way than it than it did a few years ago or or might in five years
1: right and I know talking to the cast there when they did it uh two years ago they thought oh my God this is so important Mm -hmm. and so present Mm -hmm. you know and especially Having that ability as an American, Ameri- primarily an American audience, looking at something that's set in France, it's set in Paris, it has this distance, mm-hmm. but also accessibility, which is fun because we don't have to personalize the experience for an American audience, right. we just take them into the right. world of what it is of five generations of a French family.
0: I'm always fascinated by, uh, by the writing, as you said, to, to think about when it was written, how it was written, and then how it applies as you're sitting there in the audience yeah.
1: today. And it's fun to watch a, a writer like Josh be like, well, I'm glad you got that from it. Like, <laughs> you know, they're, uh, they really allow, because he's not hitting anybody with right. a message or a, you have to do this or you have to feel that way. He just keeps presenting truths. We keep trying to interpret them. And David Cromer takes them all and puts it into this theater here. I
0: always wonder if, I, I don't know that everybody ever knows the mix of what goes into a, a play, a production, a musical. I, I don't know if everyone realizes. We, we try to explain to them what goes on behind the scenes, but I, I don't know if anybody really understands that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's hard and it's part of the magic. Like yeah. I want to know, but I don't want to know. Yeah. I love going, I, we see a lot of theater here because we live in New York, sure. so and I, I love going and not knowing. Uh, and not hearing any rumors about Mm -hmm. whatever or whatever whatever. because every experience I've had in the theater has been mine and I want it to be mine.
0: Talk a little bit about some of the other productions you've had and things you've had going on. I know you were on Broadway uh, previously, but you have some things that have happened uh, in between there because it's not just uh, Broadway, you're not just on stage, it's TV, it's film.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I'm 61 years old and I started working when I was 16 and over these last 40 odd years, I have just really had this incredible a, a thing that I didn't know was going to happen yeah. is that I started as an actor because I loved theater and that was the place and that was I was in a town that was like you know if playing basketball in Indiana it was Santa Barbara was just full of theater and mm-hmm. full of mm-hmm. uh, and so I fell in love with it that way but then I had this career in television and film but I always kept going back and like um and and i think the mediums itself become also part of the fun you know i was able to work the last couple of years with you know on some really great television epic kind of things and that has its own detail that's fun to do and now to be in this situation where it's all back to that original which is really trust and in and, and being with actors where You you trust. You Mm -hmm. have to find trust, and and that's exciting because you're not relying on an editor, you know everything or another take, (laughs) right? And also that thing that I think audiences always forget is that we every actor on stage feels exactly what's going on in that theater. And audiences think they're anonymous and Mm -hmm. they're just watching in it like a movie or something where it's nothing they're going to do, but it is actually this a live thing that starts when the lights go out and finishes at the end.
0: I love that you say that because I always felt like, I, I've noticed this about myself, when I get up and clap at the end, I always feel very emotional in the theater and I'm like, why am I doing, this was a comedy, why do I feel like I'm gonna cry? But yeah. you're right, everyone's part of that experience.
1: Yeah, and I think that's, a, you know, that's I think that connection that happens when a group experiences it, I mean, if you take it back mm-hmm. from my friend Brian Doris who runs an amazing th- uh, thing called Theater of War, where he, talks about and exercises this idea that the Greeks knew that theater was a place of healing mm-hmm. and that when tragedy, epic things are happening, they created this place where a group of people could come together and hear and look and interact. That's the healing that we all need. Mm-hmm. It's part of who we are, which is why. So here we are i mean it's 2024 and theater still matters we do need it and i also think it's
0: because why so many people come back to it like you said you do films you do tv but you always come back to the stage
1: and we get it in other ways you see it like whatever taylor swift is phenomenal Mm -hmm. those people had an experience together in that thing and that's Mm -hmm. what we want we want the music the feel of love or the you know it's like my favorite quote was penn and teller where they asked him you know, at the end of the show, they used to say, when you go home tonight, it's not, you know, how we do these tricks. Yeah. It's That's not what's important. It's why, oh, you know, and that always stuck great. with me, like, all oh, right, I need this. I need to be- You're right. Stirred.
0: You're really right. And
1: feel like, oh.
0: I want to go uh, to something, you know, you, you were, you played a role that uh, obviously uh, years and years ago that is uh, was gone and done, but has always, I have to imagine, stayed with you. Mm. Of goose, oh, and yep, yep. yeah, <laughs> oh, that one, yep. oh, that one, mm-hmm. uh, among among others, obviously. But I go back to that because I think you know, Top Gun came out, you know, the the new one came out, but Goose was always remembered through all these years. Mm-hmm. The significance and the importance of that role.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, it was a, I was in the right place at the right time with a director who wanted me to do that role when uh, the studio wanted a comedian that was like they got to get a comedian there because it's got to be this funny thing and it was like a director said no he's got to be we got to believe mm-hmm. that this is this guy's best friend and when you're gonna take a hero and have him go through something you got to believe that love you got to believe that friendship and so you know it it was a lo- you know a lot of smokes smoke and mirrors and, and airplanes but at the core of it, you know, people can relate to that. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, yeah, someone just sent me a picture of a guy, a friend of his, or his maybe it was his son, a friend of his, graduating from West Point, and they were holding up a sign that said, "If Maverick had gone to West Point, Goose <laughs> would still be alive." And I thought that was really funny. Like, it's just like, it's weird. It's just a zeitgeisty yes. part that's funny, and it's my kids will send me stuff and be like oh my god look at that you're part of this thing <laughs> yes you know? that was me yeah that was me yeah and so you feel pre- you know that's where you go like wow well, i'm glad i'm happy for that i'm happy that
0: yeah those that. things matter
1: yeah and that's what we we do all this for is so that we can stay in people's hearts and minds the way other performances stay in mine i mean i am
0: What what do you feel like you're most drawn to if it comes to TV? Are they real stories or or stories of something that's happened that have now, you know, been been fictionalized or or are they just real stories that you look for if it's TV? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think we we do the full circle here and it's really writing, you know, when you when a writer is writing a place that's truthful for them, um, you go, ah, I mean, it was what was like reading the pilot script of ER Mm -hmm. and you went, I don't understand any of this, but it's real. I mean, I didn't uh, you know the deep, yeah, of but course. like this is felt like this was really what they're trying to do. And, you know, it reminds me of another <laughs> expression of a friend of mine, a director who used to scream like, you know, two nights before opening saying, I don't care if you have to fake it, make it real. <laughs> and <you're, laughs> okay. That says it all. Point taken.
0: That says it all. Yeah. After an extended sold out run at the public, SOPS is coming to Broadway this spring. It's the epic and timely musical about the women's suffrage movement with a powerhouse producing team. Suff's features a book, music and lyrics by Shayna Taub. Here's Beth Stevens.
2: You have had so many accolades and albums, and but now it's Broadway. Finally, which feels to me like a really big step. Does it feel that way to you too? Absolutely.
3: I mean, I grew up listening to Broadway cast albums and it's definitely been a childhood dream. You know, I've been so fortunate to get to work in the incredible downtown theater scene and off-Broadway theater scene, which is something I didn't even really know existed until I came to New York. And I always wanna work in that context as well. And also Broadway has always sort of loomed large as this kind of shiny dream. And so it feels, yeah, it feels surreal to get to really do it on my own terms. It's always been a dream, but I don't think I ever imagined it would be with my own show really getting to say the thing I wanted to say. So that's really meaningful. Well, you
2: are part of an elite group of people who wrote their own show and get to star in it. So do you think that like Sarah Bareilles and Lin-Manuel Miranda are sick of being compared to you?
3: Oh, please. Oh my God. What what an honor to even be spoken in the same sentence as those two legends who uh, I just admire so, so much. and. Yeah, I mean, I have always performed. I've performed long, a lot longer than I've written. And it, it's I used to think I needed to kind of choose one path. But seeing people like Sarah and like Lynn and even, you know, like Anais, Aeneas mm-hmm. Mitchell, singer-songwriter performing her own music, I was like, oh, maybe I don't need to, like, choose a lane. I can kind of be a full artist and bring my whole self to, to that context. So, yeah, I'm honored to be a, to be a part of that. So I know you worked on the show a lot, but tell me if you can bring us
2: back to what sparked the first idea for you for when you wanted to work on this
3: piece? Yeah, well, one of our lead producers, Rachel Sussman sat me down almost 10 years ago this spring and asked me what I knew about the American women's suffrage movement, to which I said, "Uh, Susan B. Anthony, like a women's rights convention in the 1800s. And she blew my mind by starting to tell me about this history. And I think that what the spark was, was that I'd been searching for this. I'd been searching for a story about a group of girls kind of like taking on a system or, you know, and I I was looking for for source material and it was like, there it was. And it was right in my own backyard and it had yet to be dramatized in a major way. So I kind of couldn't believe it. The whole time I was like, "Uh, how is this not happening already? How are we, you know, and it's always been my hope that people, there's so much more in this history than my one show can possibly cover. So my hope is that it can inspire even more pieces about this time.
2: Sometimes it's hard to write
3: about something that really happened. So what was your way in? it was really figuring out what the central conflict was. Mm-hmm. I sort of thought, okay, well, the natural conflict here is between the SUFs and all the forces against them. Right. The uh, the presidential administration, the public, the press, the male-dominated systems of power in this country. And yet I thought that might be a little too easy. I don't want an audience to come in and think, oh, I know whose side I'm on. I know who's right. I know who's gonna win. Mm-hmm. What was far more interesting to me were the internal conflicts within a group that want the same thing. Yeah. Between the older suffs, the younger SUFs between stuffs of different race, class, uh, political affiliations, all sorts of things. So I was like, oh, that's where the juice is of where it's not so simple, you know? So that, that got me excited that I could also locate the story centered even more on the women if the central conflict was between the women.
2: What does your day-to-day process look like? Are you at the computer? Are you at the piano? Where are you? What are you doing? Yeah,
3: both, both, but um, yeah, I'm really intensely disciplined about writing because it takes so much, so I have to kind of uh, I got really into the Pomodoro method. I don't know if so that's of it like it. 25 minutes long? Yeah, like you have a uh-huh. timer. And because I, I love it, it sort of tricks me into wanting to write. Because mm-hmm. I'll start it, and at first I'll be like, oh God. But then when it goes off, I'm like, no, I'm not done. <laughs> and that plays a good So for people key. who don't know, just describe what that is. The Pomodoro method is just 25 minute chunks where you put on a timer and then you take a five minute break and do another 25 minutes. And for me, it's putting my phone on airplane, turning my Wi Fi off. Just like taking away all the little distractions and messages so i can like be sitting there with a document at the piano for at least 25 minutes at a time well that all added up because you (laughs) caught
2: the attention of some very important people including nobel prize laureate malala secretary secretary of state hillary clinton they are now on your producing team so how does it feel for you to know that you've impacted people of that stature
3: surreal pinching myself and so so amazing to me and just meaningful that they these two women who I've looked up to for so long I mean secretary Clinton my whole life and Malala watching her advocacy for all these years to think that we as as the show could sort of be a part of joining in these missions for fighting for women's rights and human's rights uh, with with in tandem and in concert with all of their wisdom and passion it just in some ways it's so surreal and in other ways it feels so right. There's just something of like, it's, we're all uh, fighting the same fight, you know, and to get to have them be a part of it with us and to learn from them is an honor.
2: So now you're about to be on the biggest stage you've been on. Tell me how you're preparing yourself mentally and physically.
3: Oh yeah, I mean, that good therapy. <laughs> I am going to the gym more just trying to like get, just to like feel good, feel like I have my energy up. I'm. Yeah, I mean, I am, I'm trying to also like a big theme for me is trying to zoom out of just you get so bogged down in like the stresses and anxieties of every little aspect of the show and the production. There's always some drama, something going on. And I just like to have things around me, old photos and old things of like, oh, yeah, this has been a dream of mine for so many years since I was a little kid. And like just to get to do it at all is a gift and a blessing. So that's that's one thing that's really grounding me.
2: Okay, so time travel with me to you stepping on that Broadway stage for the first time. What are you going to be feeling?
3: Uh, Fear, for sure. I think it's going to be a two-lane highway of like fear and anxiety because I'm a human being, and then also just joy and exhilaration. I mean, for me, performing has always kind of been my happy place. It feels kind of like a refuge that even in all the, the craziness of everyday life or the craziness of being on a creative team for the hours that I'm on stage, I can't, no one can bother me. You know, it's, it's just this nice. So I, yeah, I'm sort of, I, I, and I love to be on stage with my cast. So that's, I just can't wait to kind of like be singing a song with everyone and look around and see their faces and just be like, holy,
0: we're here. And that's gonna do it for this week's episode of The Pod. Until next time, I'm Tamsin Fidel, and this is the Broadway show, Uncut.